This is the intersection of faith and the culture. Thanks for joining us today on Wall Builders, where we take on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. And of course, we have that conversation with David Barton. He's America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders, and Tim Barton, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. And I'm Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's constitution coach. We're thankful for you joining us today on the air. We also encourage you to join us online at wallbuilders.com. That's where you can also join us by coming alongside us, making a contribution one time or monthly. We appreciate you doing that. That allows us to add more stations, get to more people, spread the truth, equip and inspire and get people involved in making a difference and saving our constitutional republic. You can also come alongside us by sharing the program. So you can take the program and send it out on social media to your friends and family. The more people that hear this program, the more likely we're going to save this constitutional republic. All right, guys, John Stenberger will be back with us today. He was with us last week talking about a lot of victories out of Florida. We're going to talk specifically about pro-life victories. And, of course, you know we, we've already talked a lot about the Dobbs decision from last summer. But all of these pro-life victories didn't happen overnight. This stuff was you know 50 years in the making. A lot of people very you know uh, dedicated to the cause and, and literally devoted their lives to this battle. It, of course, is ongoing. But John's going to talk to us about a little bit about you know just kind of pausing and saying, okay, look at all these victories uh, look at Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade, and let's honor some of the people that came before us. And uh, and, and and David, I guess this was even really what what you know one of the reasons. I mean, obviously, school prayer was the main reason you got involved, but it was going to a Concerned Women for America conference and and looking at the pro life issue that even started you back in the eighties. Yeah, it was, and back at that point in time, and of course, the abortion stuff goes back fifteen years earlier than than the stuff I was doing, but it was all built around rejecting a certain set of values. We've had Judeo-Christian biblical values for a long time, and we started rejecting those. We rejected it first in 62, 63 with prayer and Bible. Then we said, well, life, uh, that's up to you. You don't get to decide life. Well, biblical values, pretty clear on that. And then what we saw, the results of that is where I started talking about how bad the results have been statistically um, since that 60 and, and 70 decisions. And so what John's done is really taken that on. And by the way, John has this book he's got out is a great celebration of the 50 years of battle that have gone on to resecure the pro-life movement in a much more biblical direction. But I'll just point out that having won the Supreme Court decision doesn't mean the battle is anywhere near over, because what you've got is you still have educational institutions and teachers still radically pro-abortion. They're going to be promoting this for the for the kids. So they're hoping to get a new generation that thinks abortion should be a constitutional amendment, that thinks that this should be something natural. So John's book celebrates what goes up through Dobbs, all the decades that were put into it, all the leaders who were so key and influential in helping educate Americans. America became majority pro-life. The Supreme Court is a result of elections. Elections became an issue over the life issue. So it's a long legacy that's there. But just a reminder, with all the celebration, the battle is still ongoing. It's just moved to a different arena. It's not in the, the legislative legal arena now. It's in the educational and social arena, and we got to pay just as much attention to that, or we'll lose this battle again. Still a lot of work to do, but let's uh, let's celebrate some of those victories from over the years. John Stimberger, we're going to talk about some of the key players in the pro-life movement over the last 50 years. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builders.
This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. In the early 1700s, the Reverend John Weiss preached that all men were created equal, that taxation without representation was tyranny, and that God's preferred form of government was the consent of the governed, all of which is language recognizable in the Declaration of Independence. Why? Because in 1772, the Sons of Liberty, led by founders such as Sam Adams and John Hancock, reprinted and distributed the Reverend Wise's sermons. So four years later, much of the declaration reflected the language of those sermons by John Wise. In 1926, on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, President Calvin Coolidge affirmed, the thoughts in the declaration can very largely be traced back to what John Wise was saying. Few today know that the declaration was so strongly influenced by the Reverend John Wise. For more information on this and other stories, go to wallbuilders.com. Thanks for staying with us here on Wall Builders. Our good friend John Stimberger back with us from Florida. Uh, you have too many titles, John. I never know which one. You know, my, of course, the one I'm most proud of is you're our Patriot Academy partner for the uh, Leadership Congress there in Florida. But man, you got your law firm. You got, of course, Florida Family Policy Council. So many different things that you're working on to influence the culture. And uh, just appreciate you taking time, man. I know you're busy. Sure. Wow, that's a that's a quick answer. That, that, see, you really are in a hurry. I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk Legacy of Life, a uh, new book that's going to be out later this month, and uh, and, and, and a, a great opportunity for people to realize what it took uh, to stand up against the pro-abortion movement and, and, and kind of where we are on that, but it really highlights, uh, well, tell us, what, what, what does it highlight champions of the life movement through the years and people that have, have really been the ones to get us to where we are at this point? You know, out of everything I've done in my entire career, between Trail Life and the Marriage Amendment and all the work we've done, this is the most exciting project that we've done. It's, it's a book called Legacy of Life. This is not an ordinary book. It's a piece of history, and it's a piece of artwork. It's a 12 by 12 commemorative table book. It's gorgeous. It's striking. When you see it, like even an unbeliever would want to pick it up and say, what is this all about? But it profiles 50 of the greatest leaders of the pro-life movement for the last 50 years. And in the book, Every two pages is devoted to one leader. We have original pictures, beautiful pictures from their past and their present. And we have 50 leaders that have written the tributes honoring these 50 leaders. So, for instance, Al Mohler wrote the tribute to Francis Schaeffer. Dr. Robbie George at Princeton University wrote the tribute to Mother Teresa. Dr. Marco Rubio, the U.S. Senator, has written a tribute. Um, Kevin Roberts has written a tribute. Mike Ferris has written tributes. So there's, there's high-profile leaders that are writing the tributes to these people that have passed away. And people that are living now, about one-third of the leaders are passed away, and about two-thirds of the leaders are still living with us. Mm. So it's an exciting book. It's really a family heirloom. Um, folks can order at LegacyOfLifeBook.com. That's LegacyOfLifeBook.com. It is a little pricey, but this is an investment and in not just an ordinary book. This is literally a piece of history. There's wonderful little stories that and we've uncovered, pieces of church history and history about these people's uh, lives. So there's three goals. Rick, to the book. One is to educate people um, about the nature of the pro-life history. Two is to honor the leaders that have gone before us whose shoulders we now stand on in this moment, this remarkable moment where Roe is overturned. And then finally, we want to educate and inspire young people. And you, I know you're passionate about this too, Rick. And the book is, is designed to just pick up and have a young person go, wow, this is amazing. Like, I want to be one of these people yeah. in this book. I want to be the next Lila Rose, the next David Delighton, the next Christian Hawkins, right? And so it's that kind of dynamic that we're looking for. And if one, just one person, one young person is, is animated and goes on to be a national pro-life leader, it's success. Uh, but this is a gorgeous book. 
and it's an heirloom you want in your family. Well, you said it's pricey. I mean, I, honestly, fifty bucks is not pricey for for something like this that's done this well with, with with you know not not only the stories and the compilation and and all of that, but the beauty of it, like you said, as as an heirloom uh, that that you put in the living room because you want you also want the nephews and nieces when they come over to go, oh wow, what's this and. And again, it's inspiration. Yeah. It's saying, "Oh, I could have a legacy like this. Guy could use me for whatever it is, uh, and it may not even be the life issue. It may be something else, but it inspires them to be part of something greater than themselves." So I, I love that. That's I think right. that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You got, you know, like you said, Ben Shapiro doing the forward, and then all these great contributors. Um, impossible. I know. Impossible question. I'm going to ask you here, but out of these 50 stories, your favorite. You compiled all this. So yeah, that's a great question. The one person that stands out more than anyone else is Francis Schaeffer. His life literally affects over 19 people in the book hmm. who reference him or some way. And it's really, the story is remarkable. There's a, there's a fellow that we discovered in, in the process of doing this book named Harold O.J. Brown. He was a theologian. And his daughter meets Francis Schaeffer's daughter on the streets in Switzerland, providentially, just like totally coincident. And they start talking about their fathers. And they're like, wow, our father's like, we need to, they need to meet each other. So... Professor O.J., Harold O.J. Brown, Joe Brown, they called him, goes to Switzerland, studies under Schaefer, becomes totally animated by his understanding of Christian worldview, and he brings Schaefer back to America for the first time in many, many years, does a series of lectures at Harvard University, then takes them to Moody, where he's exposed to a bunch of young pastors, including guys like John Piper, who are all animated by Schaefer's uh, understanding of the Scripture and his, his, his preaching about Christian worldview. And so... Uh, that then Schaefer becomes a celebrity. He meets a woman named Beverly LaHaye, a young lady who then mentors a, a young man named Mike Ferris. Wow. Who goes on to start wow. Homeschool League of Defense Fund. And, and Mike Ferris then influences all these other people. And so it's just absolutely amazing to see Schaefer's influence through so many people in the book. It's really quite remarkable to think of one man's life who's not even here anymore. And even me, I mean, if I didn't read Christian Manifesto by Schaefer along with my mentor, Ken Connor. I wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing. He literally thrusted me into the pro-life movement and to doing what I'm doing by reading the force of his words. So he's a remarkable human being who's featured in the book as well. The the ripple effect. You, you just don't know what God's going to do with a seed you plant or when you water or whatever it might be. I, I don't know if you remember this off the top of your head. How, how long ago was that when they met on the street, the, the daughters? Yeah, that would have been in the late 70s, wow. early 80s. Wow. Yeah. And then here we are 50 years later, maybe 60 years later, uh, just realizing all of the different impact. And of course, God's got, you know, he knows where all these pieces of the puzzle are, and he brings these things, like you said, providentially together. So what a, what a cool, cool way to, to teach our kids, to teach our family. Uh, it's called Legacy of Life. The, the uh, website is LegacyofLifeBook.com, LegacyofLifeBook.com, coordinated, edited by you, John, and, and, and how you got all of these different people to come together. Uh, boy, you talk about herding cats. This, the, the, these, you, 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 you got some of the most influential, busy people on the planet to contribute a chapter here. Uh, I don't know how long this took you or how long you've been at work on it, but what a great feat! I'm excited for you, man. I appreciate that. It took us about nine months to assemble, and it's just gorgeous. It's more beautiful than I could ever imagine, and uh, folks are going to really want it in their home. All right, legacyoflifebook.com. What will your legacy be? You know, as uh, as we like to talk about around here, the. The whole Nathan Hill thing. I I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Well, we've all got one life. What are you What are you going to give yours for? What a great way to motivate us and to motivate our children and and grandchildren. Legacyoflifebook.com. Uh, Got to take a quick break. John, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back with David and Tim Bart.
Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially, in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story, starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln. We tell the story of America, not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. Welcome back to Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us. Thanks to John Stenberger for joining us again today and for bringing this book to market uh, so that we can celebrate those lives and encourage young people to get involved in whatever area God's calling them to as well. Uh, David and Tim, of course, it's not over. I mean, Dobbs overturns Roe v. Wade. We talked about this. I mean, this is uh, th- this this brings the battle to the state and local level. Are we still winning? Uh, you know, sometimes people kind of you get a big victory like overturning Roe v. Wade, and they just say, "Okay, I'm done." And they don't get involved anymore. Are we still winning? Do we still have people paying attention? Is there anything happening at the local level we can celebrate today as if it were a Good News Friday on a Monday? Well, I mean, Rick, we were talking about it a little bit uh, between the interview where the, our stacks of good news are always so full of things that are positive gains when it comes to the pro-life issue. And when we look at the overturning of Roe versus Wade, one of the things we said from the very beginning is this does not solve the problem of abortion in America. All, all it does is send it back to the states. And, and this is where fundamentally I disagree with a lot of this notion uh, that it's even a state's rights issue. Saying that abortion is a state's rights issue, in my mind, is a little similar to saying slavery was a state's rights issue back prior to the Civil War. It, it's not. It's a violation of a fundamental and alienable right and the founding fathers identified the first of the inalienable right was the right to life. The, the right to be born, the right to live was the first of the God-given right. And so this is something that should not be a state issue. States shouldn't debate and decide at what point someone gets to live and die that they are not God. They should not be able to play God in that respect. And when you look at some states that are saying that we're going to ban abortion after 20 weeks or after 12 weeks or after eight weeks, and, and then there's opposition saying, no, there should be no limitations on abortion. These are things that are the basic, it's a violation of the basic understanding the founding fathers laid out and their principles, their philosophy of government saying that the first and the rights is a right to life. Now, with that being said, because that's not the way that most people see the life issue today, it's not the way that most of our elected officials view the life issue this is something that now that it's at the states, it's become a even more significant battle than it was before, where you have some very conservative states that are saying, we're going to try to get rid of abortion altogether, and some have. But you've seen some liberal states say, well, we're going to expand abortion access because we think it's very important for women to be able to kill their unborn children. This is a battle going both directions. And so now it's a battle for the heart, the soul, the minds of people in every state and even you're seeing battles where some states have said that they're going to do abortions, and yet now there are states saying that they will mail abortion pills across state lines to help women in some of these states that have banned abortion to still have access to abortion where they don't have to travel and go somewhere. We, we've seen different companies 
whether it be an Amazon or some of these other major companies say that they will actually pay women to be able to travel to go to some of these states that still promote abortion and, and, and they will fund that for them. Now, the idea that they are doing this out of the goodness of their heart is really silly. Uh, they're doing it so that they don't lose people out of the workforce because maternity leave is much longer than leave after having an abortion for that medical quote unquote procedure. So this is not something that you look at companies and go, man, they're really great. They really care about their employees. No, they don't have a, they do not have a value for human life if they are paying for people to fly to another state so they can murder the unborn child within them. Nonetheless, this is where there are major battles happening in states. Now, not to go too far down some of the battle and, and the rabbit hole of the battle, because we are seeing so much positive happen around the nation. There is so much good news. Even this year, in the legislative cycle, we've seen in a lot of states. Already this year, we've seen a lot of positive ground. And, and that's where we said, look, we, we maybe should just take the rest of the program, talk about some of the good things that are happening, and be able to address some of the the coming battlegrounds where people need to maybe pay attention to what's happening in states and even highlight some of what we've done with our our pro-family legislative network to help equip legislators around the nation with good information, uh, with a, a proper understanding of the Constitution, of the basic foundation of government, where they've been able to help protect life in their states. So there is a lot of positive stuff in the midst of this now uh, very a fiery battle happening at the state level. Well, let's hit some of those specific guys. We've got we've got stories that happen across the country where individuals get involved, or we win a case, or maybe a legislature legislature passes something. Uh, um, what are some of those specific stories we can highlight today? Well, guys, one example that we can quickly point to. Uh, let me reach over, pull stuff out of the sack of good news. Uh, one example that we've seen just in the the last couple of weeks was in North Carolina. Uh, the state legislature passed. Uh, a, a piece of pro-life legislation. It was the Care for Women, Children, and Families Act. And the governor vetoed this. Governor Roy Cooper vetoed this uh, saying, hey, we, we need abortion access. We need abortion, quote unquote, care in, in North Carolina. This is very important in the Tar Heel State. Actually, the governor uh, went around the state trying to recruit state legislators to switch their vote to help him uphold his veto because he he understood that his veto was going to have a challenge because what in every state legislature after the governor vetoes the state legislature has the opportunity to override the veto if they can get the votes in North Carolina there's a supermajority uh in their legislatives uh and so they were able to override the veto and, and part of why this is so significant one of the many things it does in this care for women children and families act is it limited abortion, number one, at 12 weeks. And even though there are many people who say, no, you should end all abortion, one of the things we understand is that when when you are competing for something, you take the ground you can get when you can get it. And ultimately, yes, we want no abortion anywhere in America and really nowhere in the world. That This is not something we want. People that, that argue and advocate, but what about saving the life of the mother? Well, if you talk to OBGYNs who, who actually are caring for individuals and trying to save the life of the mother, what they'll tell you is that killing a baby is not the way to protect the life of the mother. If the lives are endangered, they prioritize the life of the mother in the saving process. And if they lose the baby along the way, then that's a, a loss they take along the way. But also a reality is that there's a lot of mothers, if this is something that their life is threatened, there's a lot of mothers that say, I would rather my child live 
and I would rather die than, than lose my child. So that this notion that the only way to save a mother's life is to abort a baby, that that's not actually true, medically speaking. Nonetheless, this 12-week abortion ban is a great step in the right direction. But among other things that were included in this Care for Women, Children, and Families Act is no mail-order abortion pills, which is a big deal. As mentioned, there are some states that have said that they will mail not only in their state, but they're looking at mailing across state lines, which then can be some major question marks about legality, what that looks like uh, for for some of these states that have said no to the abortion pill. And, and, and is there repercussions for individuals that would send these abortion pills across state line? But in North Carolina, they said there's not going to be abortion pills. Uh, it requires an in-person examination. It prohibits uh, advertising illegal sales of abortion pills. Uh, that it, Maintaining current law requiring abortion pills to be administered in person by a doctor. And this would be, again, before 12 weeks for that to happen. Uh, they, one of the provisions is protecting abortion survivors. So babies born alive and failed abortions are entitled to the same legal protection and standard of medical care as any other baby of the same gestational age. And, uh, you know, at this point, if they're saying no abortion after 12 weeks, uh, then this is, is, is not as relevant for some states where abortion happens much later. Nonetheless, it's still a great provision. It combats discrimination, protects unborn children from discrimination based on sex, race, or Down syndrome. So they can't say, right, a mom's pregnant with a girl. She's, ah, I wanted a boy. Let's abort this child because it's, it's not a boy or because it's a boy and I wanted a girl. They take that off the table. You, you cannot abort a child because the child, whether it be Down syndrome or gender you don't like, whatever it is, that's not an option for uh, individuals anymore. It protects women's health, safety, and informed consent. It requires the same health and safety standards for abortion facilities as for other ambulatory surgical centers. And, and this is a big deal because in a lot of places, uh, abortion facilities, they don't have uh, admitting privileges to hospitals. And of course, this is a very dangerous thing. Uh, part of the act, it ensures that women are not rushed or coerced into unwanted abortions. It limits elective and late-term abortions. I, I mean, on and on it goes. There's $160 million in support for children, families, and maternal health. And, and, and this is something that the governor vetoed. And the state legislature was able to override that veto. So these are examples where we are seeing good news with, with great pieces of, of legislation coming from states, and sometimes not always even the most conservative states, or where you have to override someone who is embracing these Democrat uh, ideologies and, and, and policies it's great that we are seeing this. This is one example. And Dad, I don't want to keep going. There's, this, this article goes on for a long time, but I know you have uh, examples as well. So I, I will yield to you for your example from our good news stack, because this is stuff we are seeing good news literally from all over the nation. The gentleman from Texas yields the balance of his time to the gentleman from Texas. Uh, that's a good decision. Texas is Texas. Um, <laughs> For those of you that may recall a civics or government course that you might have had at one point in school, you don't always get them anymore. It takes two thirds, generally takes two thirds of the legislature to override the governor's veto, which means the two thirds of the legislators that were elected in the state were pro-life, which represents two thirds of the population and, and area of the state. But you got a governor that's pro-abortion. So if you want to make this a lot easier, just elect a pro-life governor. You don't have to go through all the, the, the drama. And you probably could have even got some more conservative things in there if you hadn't been fighting the governor along the way. So, by the way, North Carolina, you're coming up with an election. You're going to have a great pro-life lieutenant governor running for, for governor. So that's another way to solve this. Um, my, my piece of pro-life good news comes out of New York. 
of all places, a very blue, very pro-abortionary, and it comes from the City University of New York, which is, again, not a conservative college. It's a very liberal, pretty radical left college. And there is an adjunct assistant professor uh, of art there that her, her name is Shellyanne Rodriguez. And their Students for Life had a table there at the college, and they had pro-life material. They were putting out pro-life material. And this, this professor came up and started cussing them, cussed them really good, started vandalizing the stuff on their table, started tearing stuff up, and someone did record that on camera, that this pro-abortion uh, professor was doing this, and actually the, the City University of New York Club on Campus for Abortion Rights praised the professor for doing this, called it courageous actions, and, and threatened more hostility against pro-life students and their Instagram posts. So it was not a good situation. And then the New York Post, which is the oldest newspaper in America, was actually started by Alexander Hamilton 200 years ago. New York Post sent a reporter and a photographer to her door to talk to her about what she had done to this pro-life table. And not only did she meet them at the door and have some choice things to say for her for herself, she came at them with a machete. She put that machete up beside one of the necks of the, the reporters and threatened them if they didn't leave her property and stop asking her questions. Whoa. And after all of that, the City University of New York decided to fire that professor. So that's that's pretty good. In a, in a city where they usually don't, they, they usually prosecute people who don't do much and they don't prosecute people who do a whole lot. That's a really good thing for the City University of New York to not protect this professor as radical pro-abortion as she was and come out on the side of getting rid of that professor because she attacked a pro-life table and vandalized it and cussed the kids out. So good news from that standpoint. We finally found a way for a professor to get fired. They have to have a machete and put it right on the neck of someone. They don't have to necessarily kill anybody, they, but they but they have to at least put the machete on the. So now we know what to look for if we want to get rid of more liberal professors across the country. Find the ones that have machetes. Wow, 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 wow. Well, anyway, lots of good news today, guys. Thank y'all so much uh, for sharing that good news on a Monday. So it's not good news Friday; it's good news Monday. And thanks to John Simberger for joining us today and sharing so much about the folks that have led the fight in the pro-life movement for so long. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Walt Bogart. We stand undivided forever.